I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. amount of chutzpah to attack me and to challenge my perfect, perfect uh, sex life during the relevant period of time. Alan Dershowitz, Harvard professor, lawyer, and uh, owner of a perfect sex life. Talking about his perfect sex life as he's been accused by David Boyes, who he's been in a battle with forever. They're like two of the most powerful lawyers in the country. Are they arch enemies? They're arch enemies. And, uh, and so... Uh, uh, Dershowitz represented Epstein, and there have been claims that Dershowitz was having sex with some of the women. Dershowitz says he has a perfect sex life. He said he's ne- he's had sex with one woman since the day he met uh, Epstein, his wife. And uh, Epstein's his wife? Oh, one woman, his wife, since he met Yeah, yeah. I would restructure that sentence. <laughs> that's, that's a revelation. And he says, I'm sure that's not true of David Boys. I'd like him to prove it. Oh, boy. Now so it's getting go. personal. <laughs> nah, there's no reason for that. This has got to be a nominee for quote of the year, though, right? He has an it's- enormous amount of chutzpah to attack me and to challenge my perfect, perfect 
uh, sex life during the relevant period of time. Perfect sex life. Double perfect. Yeah, the, the mm. fact that he repeated it, I think, really adds. Yeah, yeah double perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a high standard. So listen, uh, if you were listening yesterday or follow us on the Twitter machine, and you should, uh, you may be aware that I, Joe Getty, my my brother who's in the United States Navy, uh, he and his family were uh, robbed of their of practically all their valuables they had with them as the Navy had transferred them. While making a very brief stop in San Francisco, the thieves, the predators, the cockroaches uh, descended on them as they descend on thousands of people every year. And San Francisco has a uh, property crime rate that is astonishing. It is like that of a third world hellhole. Double that of many a major American city. I know at one point San Francisco is like the fourth most visited city in the world, mm-hmm. one of the top tourist destinations in the world. And that people really prey on tourists, right? Because right. yeah, they know so where much, they go. You got so much stuff in your car, right? And they know where tourists tend to congregate. And San Francisco and California, to a large extent, have decriminalized crime. They've made major theft. I mean, theft that would devastate you. Theft that you'd have to save up for a while to replace your stuff. A misdemeanor. It's a slap on the wrist, and you can get caught once they do nothing. You have to get caught over and over again, convicted over and over again, before San Francisco even thinks of throwing you know the book at you. And as a result, they've had an explosion in property crime, an explosion in victims, and the taxpayers and good people have been abandoned by the government of California and San Francisco. Um, we uh, We got a couple of great contributions from cops talking about how yeah, this used to be a small problem. It was just desperados in the dark of the night moving quickly. Now these guys are brazen. They do it openly. They just have no fear. Got this article sent along by alert listener Paul. Right, It's literally there is a street that divides San Francisco County um, from the neighboring county, San Mateo County. Right across that street is Daly City in San Mateo County. San Mateo and Daly have zero tolerance, smashing and grabbing. Daly City uh, Police Sergeant Ed Green says, here's it all the time. Suspects nabbed in his jurisdiction say, oh, man, I wish I'd gotten caught in San Francisco. I was on the wrong side of the street. I was in San Mateo County. Oh, no, because they know they're going to jail and they have a tiny, tiny fraction of the property crime. Well, it's because of income inequality and the climate and blah, blah, blah. It's across a street. You have a giant drop in property crime because of policy. That's amazing. Yeah. Steve Wagstaff, county's district attorney, shout out, Steve, said his office has made it a priority to put convicted auto burglars in jail. We're an aggressive county when it comes to this problem. No-nonsense policy. In San Francisco, repeat offenders. And you're not an offender unless you're convicted. Otherwise, you're just a suspect. God, so how many cars would you have to break into to get caught once? Repeatedly. Oh, my gosh. It could be three digits. It sure. could be four. But it would certainly, in many, most cases, be dozens. And, and listen, I don't mean this jokingly. If you, unless you were you know, mentally handicapped... Uh, you you could get away with it hundreds of times. So anyway, you have to be repeat. Uh, you have to be convicted over and over again to serve ten days in jail in San Francisco, in Daly County once. Bingo, six months in jail, maybe a year. 
Everybody who's caught by the police in our county, we are going to prosecute. We don't divert them out, and there's no one free bite out of the apple. And you know what? You wouldn't break into a car if you might spend a year in jail, because you're not going to get enough out of it. You're not going to get enough out of breaking into a car. Right. Get a few bucks and right. a cell phone or something, yeah. which ain't worth much. Right. but um, You oh. wouldn't want to go to a jail for a year for that. But if there's almost no penalty, yeah, sure, a few bucks. Keep breaking into cars. Now I've added up a little bit of money. I'm going to have a big night on the town. So uh, Silicon Valley, I've got another email on that. I'll give you the very short version, but it's really interesting. Silicon Valley, which has similar unicornian um, uh, uh, ideas and laws as where realism goes to die, San Francisco, um, has an enormous problem with car break-ins as well. And uh, one of our alert listeners was telling us that guys go around with Bluetooth sniffers, just sniffing out Bluetooth signals, and they know, okay, Bluetooth, that guy's got a laptop in his trunk. And so trunk break-ins are an enormous problem now in Silicon Valley. And unless they go daily city, they're going to continue to have that problem. So one more note I thought was just absolutely terrific. Um, I think I can use the name... Uh, you know what? I'll I'll call him Al just to make sure he doesn't get in trouble. Um, we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, punishment as a deterrent to crime. And uh, Al says, as a teacher of juvenile felons uh, in a locked facility, uh, I feel informed and experienced enough to comment. Even the enlightened psychologists who taught us in both undergrad work and credentialing programs would say that fear of punishment is mostly what stops or at least slows the impulse to commit offenses, particularly in adolescents and young adults. The part of the brain that does risk consequence assessment has the capacity to feel the right or wrong of it, then remorse or guilt is mostly underdeveloped. Um, in young men in particular, removing or lessening the consequences absolutely means you get more unacceptable behaviors. Teachers, administrators, probation officers, their supervisors all know this to be true. Yet we all found ourselves having to bend to the wishes of the Fantasians from upper echelons or advocacy groups who, well-intentioned, I'm sure, removed the stick and told us to only use the carrot, as it were. The result was that most of our charges became disinterested in the incentives for good behavior once the novelty of earning them wore off. Those who wanted order in classroom and common areas became frustrated that troublemakers were not sanctioned. To make matters worse, the do-gooders further meddled by deciding that it was wrong to provide a privilege like movie, day or night, or special desserts or treats to the well-behaved while denying them to the badly behaved. That's unfair. Wow. So the incentive programs became irrelevant as well. The result, chaos, increased lack of respect, violence, danger, etc. There could be no more stark example of what I'm always talking about. Are you able to process the world as an adult and understand there are things that make you feel bad that are 100% necessary? Or do you live in that adolescent rainbow unicorn riding world where if it makes you feel bad, it's a bad idea? So uh, later in the show, we want to take a look at CNN's making a game show out of choosing the Democratic uh, debate candidates last night. It's pretty funny. If you're trying to imagine how dumb it was, you're not doing a good enough job. But one Double it and then double it again, <laughs> and you're still coming up short. But wanted to hit on this briefly next. Joe Biden started the week with a video saying, no, 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 I want to double down on Obamacare with a public option because he realized almost everybody in America hated the way the candidates handled it on the stage. 
Well, the Wall Street Journal, in particular Scott Atlas, said, no, the public option is a bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? He'll explain it next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I understand the appeal of Medicare for all, but folks supporting it should be clear that it means getting rid of Obamacare. And I'm not for that. So that was Joe Biden earlier in the week. This is all the polls show. This is the number one topic pretty much for all voters in both parties um, is uh, the whole health care thing and insurance and where we're going with that. And everybody on the debate stage the other night raised their hand for doing away with private insurance. It was astounding. Joe Biden read the polls and saw that that does not poll well. So he put out the video earlier this week about how we're going to have a public option. That's what we're going to go with. Well, Scott Atlas wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, said the public option kills private insurance, does the same thing as, as the other programs. Scott Atlas is a senior fellow of the Hoover Institution of Stanford University and member of Hoover Institution's working, hello, group on health care policy, as we scroll down. And Scott joins us now. Scott, welcome. How are you, sir? Great. How are you? Oh, it's terrific. It's always good to get a chance to talk. What's the problem with the public option? I mean, the idea that some poor folks can't afford uh, insurance and, and the government steps up for them. Well, let's start with what is a public option? What does that even mean? Well, what what they mean is uh, instead of outright banning private insurance and immediately disrupting insurance for hundreds of millions of Americans, about 180 to be exact, uh, they want to have this so-called option uh, in the guise of introducing choice by having the option to say, okay, I'll take... A, a federal government-run program like Medicare uh, or something analogous to that. Well, like Joe just said, that choice. sounds fantastic. What's the problem? Yeah, sure. But the problem is that the, the well, I mean, the, the first thing that happens is that there is the death of affordable private insurance. Introducing a public option as a choice is not a moderate or compromise proposal. It is the same thing, but slightly slower as forbidding private insurance for everybody except people with a lot of money. And for a party who stresses inequality uh, as a problem, that doesn't really make sense. It leads to a situation where private insurance is unaffordable for a variety of reasons. And and that the the real question then is well why is that a problem to get rid of private insurance well the problem is that as we know not just in the United States but all over the world from the countries with decades of experience with single payer federal government programs that when people have that kind of thing their health care is consistently proven much worse than U.S. health care worse meaning. Uh, they restrict care and the, uh, trying to control costs once once there's a single dominant uh, payer for care like the government. And so they have worse outcomes, factually worse outcomes than the U.S. system from almost all serious diseases. That means cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, heart disease. Advocates of single payer care 
uh, frankly, are disregarding established data and ignoring decades of, of data from countries with socialized medicine. Well, and I know part of the uh, problem, if you did that as well, is that private insurance and, and those of us, you know, taxpayers who pay fully the doctor and the hospitals and the rest of it, we're subsidizing all of the government uh, insurance recipients because those government payments way underpay the health providers. And if the health providers had to exist on those payments, they would go away. They would go away. And in fact, this is one of the mechanisms where a single payer option eliminates affordable private insurance, because as you just mentioned, government insurance underpays. I'm talking about in the United States, Medicare, Medicaid, they they underpay. And what I mean by underpay is they underpay based on the cost of delivering the service. I'm not talking about just underpaying compared to private insurance, underpayment on cost. And so the latest data is that Medicare and Medicaid pay roughly 87% of the cost to deliver the care. Almost $80 billion of underpayments were therefore shifted to people paying for private insurance. And what that adds up to is roughly $1,800 uh, $1, or more you know, almost a uh, significant money, basically, for everybody paying private insurance. And so as you get more and more people using this underpaying government insurance, you're shifting more and more costs to people with private insurance and therefore private premiums skyrocket. Well, I appreciate you coming on to explain that because that's going to be maybe the hot topic clear on through the presidential election. I just wish you could be there on, on the debate stage. Or someone like you and challenge some of these candidates with their fanciful unicorn ideas. And because I'd like to hear what their answers would be. Yeah. Scott, yeah. Uh, Scott Atlas of the Hoover Institution is with us. Scott, does Hoover have a solution for poor folks? Oh, Health absolutely. Insurance? In fact, I've written uh, personally about this quite a bit. You know, the problem is that uh, the narrative is difficult uh, to combat when it's filled with stuff that has no factual basis. And much of the media is all in on, on an agenda driven uh, reporting basis. So, yes, the, 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 the situation is. Frankly, what the goal of all health care reform should be is to broaden access to the same excellent health care that everybody else in the United States gets because we have factually the best health care in the world. So how do you broaden access, particularly for poor people who are the only ones stuck with the government program? Because as I mentioned, everybody who has any money opts out, uh, pays those taxes, of course, but then they pay more and get private insurance. And by the way, this is what's happening all over the world. Right. in countries with that. So our, our plan, my plan, I should say, is that you take the money that's given for Medicaid, which is the poor person's uh, private And we've got uh, like 40, 45 seconds, Scott. Okay. We give that money to get them as a bridge to private insurance. We fund, seed fund HSAs, health savings accounts, and we get them into the private system that we all enjoy. And then let real competition go to work to lower costs because... There's so much cronyism right now that that doesn't happen. Scott Atlas will have a link to his latest piece, and you can find more. His writing on this subject is terrific. Uh, Scott, thanks very much. Sure. Thanks for having me. Biden's going to hammer that on the debate stage when he's on there this next go-round, I guarantee, to try to separate himself from the uh, the other people. Um, you two were both talking unicorn talk there at the end, because none of that's gonna ever going to happen. 
competition. Uh, and I'm going to stand up for what's right, Jack. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, this just in. We've got reports of another drone attack in the Middle East. The CNN Democratic debate card is set and homeless in L.A. now suing the city for destroying their quality of life. Coming up. There you go. And the we got a logical extreme. And we got to play a little of CNN's choosing process, the way they turned it into a game show last night for choosing the candidates. Oh, it's so good. Pretty hilarious and sad at the same time. Armstrong and Getty. A third of Generation Zers. I don't know who that is. That's younger than millennials? Sure. A third of Generation <laughs> Z know, personally know a non-binary person. That's somebody who's neither male nor female. A third. Wow. If you go older, obviously the numbers go down to where when you get to like baby boomers, they, they practically nobody knows somebody who's non-binary. Mm. A third know someone who's non-binary. That's something. Yeah, I could believe that. There's most high schools of any decent size. There's couple two tree folks like that. Everybody that, knows them a little. That make it that are out and proud as neither. I think so. Because they'd have to tell you, or you wouldn't know. Yeah, or you become aware of it. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, having sent three kids through high school and college, yeah, that rings true. News now with Marsha Phillips. Yet another drone attack. Now, this time, Iraqi security officials say a drone dropped explosives on a base belonging to Iran-backed paramilitary forces in northern Iraq, wounding some people on that base. The incident happened overnight. There was no immediate claim of responsibility for the attack, which comes amid the tensions between the U.S. and Iran. The tensions have left Iraq's government which is allied with both sides in a delicate position. You know what I think we're on the verge of is developing a little uh, terminology for drones, a little more specific, Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking whoever was dropping just some explosives in some militia camp probably had a $250 drone from uh, Fry's Electronics or something like that. Um, not a $300 million Predator drone right. that the U.S. is flying around. So we might have to get more specific in the future. Meanwhile, Iran is disputing President Trump's claim that the Navy destroyed an Iranian drone. An Iranian military official said, no, all of the aircraft are accounted for, and he suggested maybe... Yeah, we the- keep them right on this shelf here. Right here. There they are. He suggested that maybe the U.S. military had shot down one of its own drones. And now the Iranian foreign minister has just tweeted out a world map showing where Iran is in regards to the Persian Gulf and how far, far away the U.S. is, implying this is our neighborhood. Stay out of here. All right. The candidates who are going to be appearing in the two stages over the two nights of the second Democratic presidential primary debate are now set after we had a primetime drawing event on CNN last night. We're down to the final draw. We've been grouping the candidates based on recent polling. Uh, these are some of the biggest names in the Democratic race. God, I wonder what kind of ratings that got. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. It might have been hundreds of people watching. Even if you're <laughs> yeah. super into the Democratic right. primary and like hate Trump and all that sort of stuff, politically active, the who gets on what night of the debates when there's still 20 people? Right. Does that matter a hell of a lot to you? 473 days prior to the election? Come on. 
Oh, it could be the novelty effect. People going, well, how are they going to do this? Well, it, uh, my this uh, desire to watch yeah. it was born entirely of how stupid it sounded. Yeah. So that could have been a right. substantial part of the audience. The ironic audience. But is there, right. a, is there a main night and a kid's table like last time around, or they'd get it more evenly split this time? No, it sounds like both cards are fairly even. The first night will feature the top-tier candidates, Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, along with uh, Mayor Pete. He'll be on the first uh, night as well. And then on the uh, second Boy, those night... those are the two most socialist candidates on the same night. I'm not sure that serves you. Unless I'm you, sorry. Unless, I just didn't know. Unless, unless your hope is to like eliminate one. So the other one can get all that crowd. I think we're overthinking it. I don't There's know. Just if, too if, many for one night. If I was trying to figure yeah. out a, a candidate myself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Having yeah. the two socialists go up against each other, I, I, I'd rather hear Warren debate Kamala Harris who, or or Buddy, 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 How does Trump say it? Boot edge edge. 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 They say edge edge. edge they say edge. they tell me yeah. edge edge, but quick edge edge. <laughs> So, uh, but no, if if you're an avowed communist, you got to know which communist to back. Okay. So I think I, it's actually handy to have side. I think to having side. the the the, champ, the communist champion facing off the the middle of the road champion in the finals, okay. I think is a is a better. Okay. I like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then Biden and Harris are on the same night, which I don't think was an accident because there's no. no way they could not put those two together. And Kamala, having decided what her principles are for the evening, five minutes before she goes on stage, will attack old man Biden with an utterly predictable joust that he will parry badly. He's, he's prepared. To climb he's loaded the, with the jerk yeah, store sure called and they're, they're, you're out of you. Right. I mean, he's got a zinger he's ready to unleash. Oh, I'll bet he does. He's going to be a Jeb Bush-like in his zinger. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> in what could have passed for a parody of an NFL pregame show, the network showed three simultaneous camera shots of the live drawing. So viewers at home could oh see God. the inside of the box as well as the CNN personality as they lifted okay, the cards right. out. I forgot. So part of this is they had to have cameras everywhere, like it's David Copperfield trying to prove he actually has magical powers. Right. But they have to prove we're not in on it this time because last time around we had one of our people giving the questions to Hillary Clinton, Donna Brazil, who was working with CNN when they had the debate. And so they've got to go out of their way to say, we're not in league with the party to determine who the candidate is this time in theory. Or are we? And if I were going to devise a system to give the illusion of transparency while still being able to keep my thumb on the scale, I would have done it exactly how they did it last night. Sean, yeah. who's privy to the secrets of big-time magicians, pointed out, so you got the nameplates in a box, you rummage around, you you really kind of want uh, Biden and, and Kamala on the stage on the same night, but we better leave it to chance, or what might they do? Or they could take the ones that they want, put them in the freezer, they're colder, they look the same on TV, nobody's got heat of vision yet, uh, right? <laughs> pending, nobody steal that from right. me. <laughs> And, and so then, so then you just feel around. Oh, that's the cold one. Oh, there we go. We got the cold one we want here. We oh, got the cold one we want there. Oh, there's Joe Biden. Oh. Sports fans know that's how the Knicks ended up with Patrick Ewing back what? in the day. Yes. Patrick, what? Yes. Yes. Oh, I like oh, the oh. idea of heat vision. <laughs> Combine that with smell vision. Man, cook O dash vision. Cooking shows be fantastic. All right. <laughs> one last quick note. Yes, it's true. Maverick is back. Tom Cruise showed up at the San Diego Comic-Con Thursday showing the new trailer for the upcoming sequel to the 1980s classic Top Gun. The end is inevitable, Maverick. You're kind of headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today.
There you go. Oh, oh, he nailed him. This movie looks fan just from the technical and visual aspects. Oh, this yeah. is probably going to be the 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 closest thing people will ever will get to flying in a fighter jet. So it looks amazing. Jack's actually flown in a fighter jet and he puked all over it. Back to you. That's because I drank the night before. <laughs> Calms the nerves. They ate what for dinner? Lots of Thai food. Yeah, Thai. Oh, my oh, Um, So. Oh, man, we're watching a trailer right now. What year did Top Gun come out? out? It was early 80s, wasn't it? So it's not even in the 80s. It was the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. But so when I heard they were going to remake it, I thought, okay, so Tom Cruise will be, like, teaching the classes now. He's still a fighter pilot in this? So that's the, they, they say any... Any person with your resume would have been a corporal by now. Why are you still a captain? Right. And then they, they don't really explain because they want you to go see the movie. But yeah, so I don't know if he's just got a need for speed. I can't be put behind a desk, man. I don't know what wow. positions do what. That but. looks so cool. And I wonder how old they're claiming he is because he doesn't look his age. He he looks a lot younger than he is. He's older now. or he's He is older than Wilford Brimley was when he starred in Cocoon. <laughs> that, that's just an amazing You're step. blowing my mind. But Wilford Brimley is one of those guys that looked 60 when he was 40, yeah. and Tom Cruise is yeah. a guy who looks 40 when he's 60. They just showed him shirtless. I think I'm in love. Oh, if they geez. don't have j- playing volleyball on the beach in jeans in this movie, right. I'm going to ask for a refund. <laughs> <laughs> jeans and no shirts. Of course. Oh, boy. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Playing with the boys. That was the song they had during So are, <laughs> are any of the stars from the 80s classic in this one other than Tom Cruise? Well, Val they, couldn't, Kilmer. they couldn't stuff Val Kilmer into a plane at this point. No, but they? he's there. He's oh there. God. Oh, is he involved in it? Yeah. Was yeah, that wow. a shot at his weight? They better get Ed, him in one of Ed those uh, jumbo back. transport planes. Ed Harris is back. John yeah, Hamm's in I fly it? the big ones now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we get it. You think Val Kilmer's fat. All right. So Ed Harris has got to be 90 years old. Bro. He is. He's 90 years old. Yeah. Looking young for his and age. The love interest who, didn't Tom Cruise go on to marry her? I don't know. He, he's yeah, had many uh, many, many beards uh, over the years. The, hey, oh, hey, oh, oh, hey. Oh, hey. Oh, wow. I, Scientology yeah. marriages. I oh. said that very thing to Tom Cruise's friend. Hmm. Can we question? He doesn't have friends. Kevin? No. No. Jimmy? Kevin? No. Blonde-haired it? guy, comedian. Oh, blonde-haired guy. Is it Jay Moore? Yeah, I said oh, that okay. to Jay Moore on the phone, and he got pissed off at me for suggesting Tom Cruise was a guy. Lighten up, Jay Moore. <laughs> so, Jeez. <laughs> Do your walking impression again. <laughs> there's a, there, you know, there's a lot of hostility yeah, really. on, on this show yeah. right now, and I'm, I'm becoming uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, there was Harris. You see? Oh, fantastic. God. Yeah. Uh, we got something good on the way. I know we do. I got a couple of touching stories. You know what? We just had ugliness on, on every level. Sniping. Shots at actors' weights. Right. Outing I, yeah. I didn't mean it, Jay Moore. I'm sorry. I got some, some touching things. All right. It's about time we do something like that. Armstrong and Getty. All right, Anderson, uh, we're down to the final draw. We've been grouping the candidates based on recent polling. Uh, These are some of the biggest names in the Democratic race. Joe Biden, 
Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren are moments away from finding out when they will be debating. And this Ooh. round will go a long way in determining the dynamics of the two debates. Let's go to Ana Cabrera. She has the final draw. Well, by now, our viewers, of course, know the drill, but I want to walk you through it one more time because, again, this oh, is the final God. draw. Here and we, we have four candidates left. Yeah. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, just Bernie Sanders, yeah. and Elizabeth Warren yeah. arranged here in alphabetical order. I also have four state cards, to you to do two for this? July 30th on? on Tuesday and two for Wednesday, July 31st. Let's right. start with the name cards of the presidential candidates and put them in the box. Oh, it's a box. CNN, the Enron of entertainment, is their stock knows no low point. Well, that was really dramatic music for something that's really not that dramatic. And, you know, forever, (sighs) it's just been put out. The Associated Press is out with the list for the, then that was fine. I found this kind of interesting, too. Once they, after they did the the final draw, and threw it to the analyst desks, because it's football, right? Uh, And they were kind of going over how everything laid out. I thought this was an interesting point, I guess, that somebody made. It's also worth noting in this, the most diverse field the Democratic Party has ever had, all the first night are white candidates, and the racial diversity is entirely uh, in the second night, which just uh, changes the dynamic, especially because, obviously, race has been a front and center issue in America this week. It has been in this campaign. (laughs) They're making the two nights separate but equal. (laughs) Uh, okay, so are people making a thing out of that, like it was on purpose or something? It would, I saw some people trying to make... It's a I ghetto! Just don't, I don't They've know. been ghettoized! They've been segregated! I don't know what they're... You, you can't win. Like it's just, no, no, you can't. You can't win in the modern world. You can't. It's impossible to win. I just... Uh, so I've seen the trailer for the new Top Gun movie today, and I just saw the trailer for the new Cats movie, which is a, similar to The Lion King. It's It's... It's real action with people dressed as animals. Oh, the Lion King is photorealistic computer animation. Oh, okay. Cats is so people, some people dressing up as cats. And so, singing and dancing. Have you seen Until you want to puke. Have you seen the cats, the people dressed as the I cats? Not. Yeah, here, I got, yeah, there it is. I it's, saw the, uh, it's the Broadway show, It's horrible. It's hor- you did? You I had did. to go? Yeah, well, Oops, well I went. Better. I married a woman. <laughs> wow, look, that that looks just like something that you'd, you'd have to put a bow and arrow to my head to make me go. Are they? Su- I don't know what size they're supposed. Are they supposed the to be? The quick death of a gunshot wouldn't be threat enough. It would have to be a bow and arrow. Yeah. Are they exactly, Sean? Are they cat-sized humans? That look. They look to be cat-sized humans. Yes. All right. Would and where do they get the a, tiny top hats? What is the main? Have a hundred cat-sized humans or? A- Horse-sized duck. Is it at the the among the most successful musicals of all time? Right, Hamilton might have beat it. Um, yeah, whatever. But what's the story? And I really don't want much on this. But it, just it, barely, it, it, there's barely a story. It's okay. it's it's uh, I'm this sort of cat, and they sing a song, and I'm that sort of cat, and they sing a song, and there's kind of sort of an overarching plot, as I recall. Is it romantic? Is it action? He's somewhat. Uh, does one of them Don't get make me to... talk about this. <laughs> it's just, listen, Andrew Lloyd Webber ain't exactly my cup of tea. He takes maple syrup, pours a cup of sugar in it, and then mixes it up with some nice sweet cream, and you just suck that down. Does one of them get distemper and end up in the pound? I mean, what's the Yeah, dog like? tears one limb from limbs. Oh, jeez. Which one was your favorite cat? Oh, God. The one that tears your eyes out. The tabby. <laughs> no, make it stop. Please. Um, so you listen to a little audio. Which of the heartwarming stories do you like? Because we're going to bring you heartwarming. Uh, let's go with the, uh, the, the carpenter who sent I people like to college. That's a cool story. 
He was that kind of a blue-collar, lunch-pail kind of guy. Went to work every day, worked really hard, was frugal, um, like a lot of Iowans. said, I never got the opportunity to go to college, and so I'd like to help kids go to college. Finally, I kind of was curious. I said, how much are we talking about, Dale? And he said, oh, just, just shy of $3 million, and I nearly fell out of my chair. He had church jeans and work jeans. He wanted to help kids that were like him that probably wouldn't have an opportunity to, to go to college but for his gift. For a man that would never meet me to give me basically a full ride to college, that's incredible. That doesn't happen. If it wasn't for this scholarship, I wouldn't be here. So the story is about being frugal and how much money you can save even if you don't make much money, if you don't spend much money, mm-hmm. and the power of compound interest, really. Yeah. Um, but he was 67 years. He worked for the same company for 67 years, wow. which is really amazing. Wow. He uh, he grew up poor, never married or had kids. Worked as a carpenter, never made a lot of money, but he owned two pairs of jeans, drove an old rusty truck and was able to accumulate again through not spending money and compound interest. Uh, Three million dollars. And then that's amazing. To he me. sent 33 young Iowans to college with that money over the past 14 years. Why, that's something else. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I I wish, I've talked about this for years. It's one of the real uh, blind spots that we have in culture and in media that there's no attention paid to how much money you spend throughout your life. Mm -hmm. So if you end up with X number of dollars, it's it's all about what happened to you and none of your decisions, and that's the way it's worked. When Barack Obama said, this sticks in my craw, my craw is is sore and itchy from the sticking in my craw. Keep telling you to get it checked. Everybody has a right to retire with dignity. No, you don't. You got a whole lifetime of decisions to make. And if you made bad decisions, it ain't on me to make sure you retire with dignity. Right. It should. I should have no role in that whatsoever. The idea that I got to give you any money so you have a whatever dignified retirement means. This guy wears has two pairs of jeans in an old rusty truck and accumulates a lot of money. His neighbor's guy could have made exactly the same amount of money driven a new car and had a zero money at the end of his life just by driving a new car. Yeah, that would be enough. a new one every three, four years. Yeah, maybe. that would yep. be enough to wipe out all the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he doesn't get to retire with dignity. So I owe him some money. That's an insane idea. I would agree 100 percent. And of course, if you go along with that idea, you'll end up with a lot more people driving new cars than you will guys with two pairs of jeans. Because you think, why am I saving my money when I get to the end of the road? The, the the taxpayer will support me. Well, and it's that is supported by every independent experiment on this topic that's ever been done. Those who are making an effort realize there's less point or no point in making an effort. And those not making an effort realize, well, I'm doing this exactly right. Why would I increase my effort? And, and the result is so incredibly obvious, it astounds me that anybody falls for it. Making a transition here. Like we're CNN. Didn't we drive the Oscar Mayer? Thank you, Anderson. Didn't we drive the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile once? I know I've been in it. Have you been in it? Yes. Yes, we were in okay. it once. Yeah, for some radio I don't station. Remember we, a great deal. Some radio station we worked for. If you've never seen it, you've probably seen it on TV. It's a giant like RV that looks exactly like a hot dog. It says Oscar Mayer on the side. Well, now you can spend the night in the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. It's on Airbnb. Don't do that. <laughs> Every day is National Hot Dog Day when you rent the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile at Airbnb. <sighs> so maybe for a first date or taking the kids on a trip, it'd be fun. My kids would would laugh the entire trip. 
They would enjoy the entire yes. trip. Yes. Everywhere you park and everybody's looking at your big wiener mobile <laughs> as you go into the Grand Canyon or whatever. That I love. First date, no. It's a Freudian nightmare. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes a wiener is just a wiener. Um, sleeps too. Uh, you can only book a single night inside, though. So. Yeah, well, it's very popular. The fridge is packed with hot dogs, though. So that's oh, pretty cool. That's very nice. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.